Bibles, let's go ahead and take them and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 9. And uh, this is a familiar portion of scripture, and, uh, but I hope uh, nonetheless that we'll be able to uh, challenge, you, challenge us this evening from this passage and, and uh, see what the Lord has for us. Acts chapter 9, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 1 when you found your place. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, it says this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And then we see in just a few verses that he was then in verse number 8, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This evening, for the next few moments, I'd like to preach to you on this idea, surrender or else. Surrender or else. Let's go before the Lord. We'll ask his blessing upon this time in his word, and we'll get into the message. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this privilege we have to be able to be in your house. Lord, and I thank you for this opportunity you've granted me to be able to preach your word. And Father, I pray that as you've laid this message in my heart to preach tonight, that I pray that the words that you give me to say, Father, that you've given me to say, that they'd be a blessing and encouragement to each person here tonight. But Father, ultimately, we want to please you. And Lord, we ask that everything that is said and done this evening, even this time as we open your word, that it be pleasing to you. And Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I look in this passage, and no doubt as I gave the uh, title to this message of surrender, you know, surrender is a word that some of us at times, we don't necessarily like that word. Especially when it comes to us and someone is telling us to surrender. Because when someone is telling us to surrender, that means we need to submit. We need to humble ourselves and bring ourselves under the authority of something else that would be over us. We need to surrender. Uh, one of the missionaries that we've had the privilege of working with the last three years uh, relatively closely in the Magadan region, his name is Eric, and he's been in Russia since 1999. And one of the things that gifts that God has given him is uh, he likes to do, uh, to, uh, he, uh, he likes mar mixed martial arts. In fact, he, he teaches and trains some of the young men in the town that he lives in, in the town of Sokol. He teaches them jujitsu. And uh, one of the things that I've been able to go to a few of his classes, in fact, during COVID, the Lord led him to actually take uh, one room in, the in their church building and completely convert it into a gym specifically for uh, uh, this form of mixed martial arts, of jujitsu. And so every Tuesday night and I think Thursday nights, they have young men from the town that, and some from Magna, and they come together there and they, they gather and he teaches them, he trains them specifically in this, this um, form of martial arts. But one of the things that as I've been there and I've been to some of these classes that I've learned is 
this is really the whole point of this uh, jujitsu wrestling or form of mixed martial arts is to bring your opponent into submission. Whether it be to put your opponent into some form of chokehold or to uh, grab a hold of their leg in a certain way and, and hold it a certain way that unless that person surrenders and what they call tapping out, that person will experience a great deal of pain. That you, they, 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 whether they take their foot, their, their leg, or their arm, and they put them in some sort of hole, that if that person does not tap out, they experience great pain. And the longer they wait to tap out, the more painful it hurts. And sometimes it reaches even the point when they experience excruciating pain. Why? Because they uh, absolutely refuse to surrender. Surrender is something that we don't like to do, but oftentimes in our lives it's very necessary. So here in this passage, we, we see this, uh, uh, the event that's taking place, that's unfolding in, in Saul, and we see specifically a, a point that God brings him to surrender. But leading up to that surrender, we see specifically that before he could reach that point of surrender, there was something very specific that was taking in his life. Because until someone reaches that point of surrender, when authority is speaking to him and saying surrender, until he fully and completely surrenders, he is actually living in rebellion against authority. So until he, were to, he surrendered specifically to the Lord, as we will see in this passage, that he was living a life that was in direct rebellion against what God wanted him to do, what God had created and had intended him to do. Well, what kind of rebellion was it? We can see here specifically in the very beginning in this, uh, in this chapter, verse number one, it talks about Saul and the condition of his heart and his utter, utter hatred that he had toward the Christians specifically that were in Jerusalem. These Christians that were propagating this new, in quotation marks, or uh, this new gospel, this gospel of proclaiming that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. See, Saul was a very religious man. He lived a life abiding by these, the Judeo-Christian laws and everything that was according to those things. And here, here these Christians were coming that uh, they are now proclaiming this new gospel to them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And this was something that he vehemently denied. And so therefore, he wanted no part in it. In fact, rather the contrary, he said, listen, those people that are proclaiming this gospel, they need to be silenced. This is something that needs to be addressed. They need to be silenced. And we can see the progression that has taken place in Saul's life. And you can turn back to uh, chapter number 7. And you can read in verse number 58 when we see the events at the stoning of Stephen. Notice in verse number 58 it says this. And cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So here we see Saul is present at the stoning of Stephen. And why were they stoning him? Because he was preaching a gospel. He was preaching a message that they vehemently denied the gospel that, that Jesus Christ indeed was the Messiah. And because they were, he was preaching this gospel, these people, they sought to silence it. And so they brought Stephen out of the city and they began to stone him. But before they began to stone him, they took off their upper garments and they laid him at the feet of Saul for the safekeeping, for Saul to safekeep those garments to protect them. 
to keep them. You know, I don't know exactly what the culture was here specifically, but I know in a lot of different countries, you don't just take your garment and, and throw it on the ground because it's dirty. You, you take it and you put it somewhere where it wouldn't get dirty. And so I kind of get the idea that they're, they're casting their clothes at, at Saul for Saul to hold on to them and to carry them to, to keep them from getting dirty and stained. But it's interesting how the progression has gone in Saul's life from not only being at the point of holding these clothes and grabbing these clothes and protecting these clothes. But we see very next chapter in chapter number eight, it says this, verse number one, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And look in verse number three, as for Saul, it says this, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Do you see this progression here that's taking place? At first, he, he really wasn't participating in, in stoning Stephen, but he was holding these articles of clothing. He was holding these upper garments. And, but now we see in chapter number eight that here, here Saul is already at this point that his utter hatred for these people proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, that now he himself is directly involved in going door to door to door. And he's not there handing out the gospel tracts and inviting them to Cleveland Baptist Church. He's there seeking out all those that would be proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. He's there seeking those people that he absolutely hated, that he wanted to silence this gospel message. And everywhere he went within Jerusalem, he sought out these people to imprison them, to persecute them, and ultimately to silence them. You know what, as we read the account and as we continue on through this, this chapter and this story and events and we come to chapter number 9, we, we see that really his frustration has just reached this boiling point that as he's sought to silence this message, he is not making any headway at all. See, because something is taking place that as he's seeking, these, seeking out these Christians in Jerusalem, no doubt many of these Christians would have been fearful for their lives and uh, fearful to, of persecution. And so they then left Jerusalem and went to regions beyond Jerusalem and to preserve their own lives. But there's one thing they began to carry with them. The very same gospel that Saul sought to silence. And so what started off perhaps as this small problem contained within Jerusalem now because of Saul and his effort to silence the message that he, the message of Jesus being the Messiah, now it's just going beyond and beyond the regions beyond. And it's reaching to this point, it's almost to the point where he's not going to be able to control it anymore. So we see here in this passage in verse number one, we see specifically that Saul's heart condition and this utter rebellion that he had that it affected his heart. That as a result of that, literally as the, as the author, he references, he says this, that he was yet breathing threatenings and slaughters against the disciples. Literally almost as if every single breath he took, every thought he thought, there was one thing on his mind. It was to silence the truth. 
to silence the gospel message. And no doubt this brought him to a point in verse number two where he comes that because of this rebellion against God and God's leading, it says this, that he desired letters. He went to the high priest and desired these letters to go to Damascus to the synagogues. And that there, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So now the problem is much more than just Jerusalem. It's even in Damascus now. And Saul's thinking to himself, I need to get letter of permission, a letter of direction from the high priest to then go to Damascus. And there once again to persecute Christians in effort to silence the gospel message. You know what picture I'm getting here when I look at this and see this? It's something that I I remember very vividly not too long ago as we had taken the teens to youth camp just a few weeks ago. And there was a certain image in my mind that uh, there was a certain youth pastor driving a vehicle that shall remain unnamed. That one evening he was driving the church van and as he pulled up into the sand, the wheels began to spin. And one, things I learned, one of the things I learned as a kid growing up in Russia, especially driving in the roads that we've had to drive in, is this, is that when your wheels begin to spin and you're, you're, you sense that your vehicle is stuck, don't keep on pushing on the gas. Let it be. Because the pro- what happens is if you continue to give the vehicle gas and you stand in one place, you begin to literally dig yourself into a hole that no longer is just the, ve- just the vehicle's wheels uh, embedded in the sand that would be there, or the mud that would be there, but literally the, the whole vehicle is sunken down into the sand. And what I'm saying to you this is that it's very similar to that, this issue that's going on here. Here Saul is in an effort to silence the gospel truth in this, in this effort to silence people from preaching that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. Then they're scattering abroad and the problem that seemed contained to Jerusalem now is just this great enormous problem to him. And so he says, well, I got to go to Damascus. Now let me ask you this question. What do you think is going to happen when he goes to Damascus? Don't you think then the same problem that took place, the same result that happened in Jerusalem then would take place in Damascus, that the people then would be scattered more abroad and the gospel truth would go even more abroad? I think so. And no doubt it's adding to the frustration that Saul is experiencing here. This hatred, this frustration... Then it comes to in verse number three, as we see that in this state of rebellion against God, it says, and as he journeyed, notice what it says, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? See, here it was that Saul was on his way to Damascus, and as he's walking, that at a certain time during this journey, all of a sudden this bright light from heaven appears, and he falls to the ground, and there's this voice directly addressing and directly talking to Saul, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think Saul knew exactly what he was doing as he went about persecuting these Christians. See, ultimately, his quarrel wasn't specifically with those individual people. His quarrel or his beef was with the gospel message that they were preaching. 
and proclaiming. And so as, he, as, he, as he's here and as he hears this voice, and this voice is speaking out to him, and he's saying, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds in verse number five. He says, who art thou, Lord? And notice what he says. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. In essence, what he's saying is this is, listen, the very thing that has irked you to this point that you, everything you do, everything you think, every, every time you breathe, the one thing that has brought you this much frustration in regard to the gospel message, that's me, Jesus. I am the Messiah. In essence, what he's doing, he's bringing Saul to this alarming point where Saul in, in, in no way, shape, or form of any doubt would come to away from this and say and realizing that Jesus was not the Messiah. Saul would walk away from this without a single doubt that Jesus Christ indeed was the Messiah. Why is this so great? Why was this so significant? Why is this so important for him to recognize this and to understand this? See, because God has some great plans, specifically uh, planned for Saul's life. God wants to do, wanted to do some great things in and through his life. And that the more that he resisted this truth, the more he was standing in opposition to God. The more he was standing in rebellion toward God. And then he comes to the point in verse number five when he says this. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's me the one that you have a beef with. And he says I am Jesus the Messiah, the Nazarene, the object of your contempt and scorn. Yet now at this point Saul saw Jesus now invested with glory. And Jesus says to him it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Do you know what a prick is? A prick would be what we would describe as a staff. A shepherd's staff, only there's something very unique to it. It has a very sharp point on it. Another way of describing this would be we, we could look back in the book of Judges and the story of Shamgar and what the Bible says he had an ox goad when he killed, I believe it was, 600 men with an ox goad. Basically a staff with a very sharp point on it. And the purpose of this staff would be that as a shepherd, as his responsibility would be to, to tend to sheep or to tend to cattle, that as he's directing these, the, this livestock to a specific place or perhaps directing them into a gated area for the night for their protection or, or directing them away from danger, that no doubt uh, uh, livestock sometimes can be rather uh, unruly. And there are some that have become very temperamental and they, 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 they begin to express their own desires and wishes that, listen, you want us to go this way, I want to go this way, so I'm going to go this way. And the shepherd would take that staff with that sharp point on it. He would take that prick and he would take that stick and he would ram it into the side of that animal. And it would hurt the animal. And perhaps maybe the first time the shepherd would take that, that stick and he would ram it into the side, maybe a lighter than what he normally would, and he would hit it in the side to get its attention, to startle it, to get it to realize, listen, I'm going the wrong direction. I need to be obeying my master. I need to be obeying the shepherd and following his leading. 
But after the first time he gets hit, the Bible references here and talks about Saul as kicking against the pricks. So it wasn't just a one-time nudge. The shepherd had to nudge this ox. It was, it was, it was a, a second time that as he nudged him a second time, even, even harder in the side to cause him pain, to get him to realize, listen, you need to submit. You need to do my will. Yet that ox continues to be stubborn. And he continues to go off even more. And that shepherd takes that prick and he rams him again. And time and time and time again, causing pain, sometimes even severe pain. Why? For the purpose of directing that oxen to where he needs to be. To bring that oxen, to bring that animal into submission so that he does what the shepherd wants him and needs him to do for his own good and for his own protection. And see here, Jesus is referencing to Saul. Saul, listen. This frustration that you have in your life of seeking to silence this truth, the fact that I am Jesus, I am the Messiah. You've made your entire life about silencing this message, this gospel message from going forth. Yet every time you seek to silence it, you're only causing yourself more pain and more suffering. And you're making it worse for yourself. That the more you resist, the more you seek to silence it, the more it's being propagated, the more it's going forth. Saul, when are you going to realize that I am Jesus, I am the Messiah, and when are you going to surrender or submit to me? In essence, that's what he's saying. Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you living this life of rebellion against what I have for you? You know what's the greatest part of this passage? It's this very verse here as we come to it in verse number 6. And he says in verse number 6, he says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. And it shall be told thee what thou must do. See, verse number six right here is a transition point going from rebellion to full and complete surrender. Full and complete surrender. He's saying, now, Lord, I get it. I understand it. I admit it, I receive it, I believe it. Jesus, you are the Messiah, and so therefore, you are the one that has the right to tell me what to do. So therefore, Jesus, I will submit, I will surrender to you. And now that I surrender, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do. You know what, it didn't just stop there at surrender. There's a third thing we see is that he didn't just stop and say, I will do what you want me to do and then go on and do what he wanted to do. Rather, verse number eight, we see this and says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. See, it wasn't that he surrendered, but then it's also we see his obedience He not only surrendered and said, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do. But then he said, I will go. And he went and he obeyed and he followed God's leading in his life. 
See, this is truly the example of what a changed life looks like. Going from the point of living a life in rebellion to surrender to obedience. This is the changed life. But see, as I look in this passage, I can't help but ask this question. What is the main idea of this text? What is the one truth that we can look at this text and that we can walk away with, that we can apply it directly to our lives? Because uh, I would venture to say probably all of us in this room, none of us in this room are living a life in rebellion of such that would be described as Saul's life was. But I believe this very same truth applies to us. That a life that has lived in rebellion against God or a life that has lived not in, in disobedience to God is a life spent kicking against the pricks. It's a life that will bring you much frustration, much, uh, much agony, much sorrow in your life that when you choose to live a life contrary to God's plan and God's will for you, you are choosing to live a life that is spent kicking against the pricks. Well, what area are you talking about, Brother James? I don't know. There's so many areas that God has called us to surrender. I can tell you this for the uh, the example of my own life that uh, really just within the last uh, four and a half, five months, that as God has been working in our hearts and bringing, uh, really just bringing a lot about, a lot of change in, uh, in our, my life and our family's life, that really when we woke up in that morning and God told us to leave Russia, can I tell you, we didn't want to leave. Because it's our home. We've been there now. This fall will be nine years. It's our home. You folks know we uh, went through a remodel project. And we finally survived the remodel project. To where now we can finally enjoy the benefits of remodeling an apartment. Only to have to leave. We didn't want to leave. But I know this is that when God prompts us and God moves us. It is so vital and so important that we follow God's leading. And I can give you testimony today that I'm so thankful that when God told us to leave, when God told us to leave, that, that we looked and we bought tickets and we left literally within 24 hours because had we not left when God told us to leave, that there very well could have been a point we would have been stuck there without having any access to funds. See, it's important that we follow God's leading. It's important that we obey God's leading, that when God tells us to go, that we don't stand there and resist and begin to kick against the pricks where God has to nudge us time and time and time again for us to submit and to surrender to his will. But that we obey, that we follow his leading. Now we are literally just one week and two days away from us getting on a plane here at Hopkins International and flying to Estonia and then from there taking a bus back into Russia and flying back to Magadan. And can I tell you, I, I really don't know what to expect. I'm just being very open and honest with you. I don't know what to expect. You know, some of you know some of the more uh, intimate details, so to speak, about really what's going on there in regard to us, our family, and our ministry there. And to be completely honest, in some days, there's uh, some nights I, I wake up in the middle of the night and my, my mind is just flooded with thoughts. And, and these thoughts come to my mind, James, you must be out of your mind to even consider going back to Russia right now. And then I talk with different people and then they tell me, and I would never go back there right now. God has led us. And I don't understand what the future holds. I don't know what the future holds. But I know this, that as God is leading us to go back, I know that it's important that we follow his leading. 
It's important that we're obedient to his leading, that we're, uh, we're obedient to his direction in our lives. Why? Because God has a purpose and God has a plan. Even though we don't know and we can't see the future right now, this moment, we have to trust, we have to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for it. And that I don't want to spend my life kicking against the pricks, saying, no, God, it's too difficult, it's too risky, it's too scary to go back. God, well, I'm not going to do it. No, God is leading us, God has led us, and so therefore we're going to go. And if he closes that door, he will close it. But God is leading us, we're going to go. Can I ask you this evening, that's an example of how God has worked in my life, specifically through this passage, of bringing me through a point of surrender and now bringing us to a point of obedience to his will. Can I ask you this very question tonight? What is it God is doing in your life that he has been prompting at you and working on your heart and, and moving in your life? And he's been saying to you, would you just surrender? Would you just give this to me? Would you just trust me in this area and just wholly, completely give it to me? Have enough faith in me knowing that I know and I have what's best in mind for you. Would you just fully and completely surrender to me? You know, it's the unfortunate truth. Is that there are Christians, someone perhaps even seated here this evening, that as God prompts you and as God moves you, Rather than choosing to be obedient and following his leading, you choose to sit there and allow yourself to have to go through this prompting and allow yourself to have to go through this jabbing of this prick, nodding you and hitting you in the side, causing you pain and causing you sorrow. Why? Because you're not submitting and surrendering to his will. You know, I don't know, there could be a young person here that maybe God is dealing with you for you to uh, finally surrender and answer the call to preach. That could be you this, morning, this evening, that you've been resisting it for a long time. Can I tell you, the longer you resist, the more you're going to experience a prick in your side. Can I tell you for that person that maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and been challenging you, challenging you knowing that you need to be saved. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's been prompting you and, and prodding you and, and moving you and telling you, listen, you need to trust me. You need to accept me as your Savior. Can I tell you, choosing a life not surrendered to Christ is choosing to live a life kicking against the as I said, I don't know where each and every one of you are. I don't know what your personal spiritual life is like. I don't know what your relationship with, with Christ is like. But I can tell you on the foundation of God's word in this passage that if you choose to live your life not surrender to God, then you're choosing to live a life kicking against the pricks. Can I challenge you this evening? Would you just surrender? Would you just wholly and completely surrender to God? At the beginning of this message, I gave an illustration of jujitsu and this that form of mixed martial arts. If you ever watched jujitsu or 
UFC, not that I'm endorsing it, but if you've ever watched that on TV, you'd find that sometimes the, the people, they get caught in a chokehold. And really what, ha- what you should do when you get caught in a chokehold is tap out. But there are some people that, I don't know if it's their pride, their arrogance, that instead of tapping out, they will literally lay there on the ground, not being able to breathe, and, and looking out and seeing as everything begins to shut down and get dark. And as they begin to reach that point of passing out, then instead of tapping out, they just say, no, I'm not going to surrender. So therefore, they end up passing out. The ref has to be there at the moment, right then and there. So the moment he passes out to make sure the guy, other guy lets go of him. You know, I look at that and I can't help but think, if you'd have just tapped out, you wouldn't have had to do that. You know, this is something that God wants us to do. God wants us to say, listen, God, you got my attention. You have me. I tap out. I fully and completely surrender to you. Whatever it is you leading me to do, I will do. I will be obedient.